0: Hello and welcome to the Motion E Podcast. I'm Stuart Garlick and uh, for this edition of the podcast I'm joined by Mr. Ryan Eric King of Motorsport 101. How are things going over in New York and uh, how are things going for Motorsport 101, Ryan?
1: Uh, things things are going well.
0: Your very long-running podcast, Motorsport One Hundred One. Um, I've I've been on there, um, and uh, it was very nice for you to invite me on there during the Berlin Formula E races. But uh, uh, where are you at the moment with with M One Hundred One? And uh, what have, what have you and Dre been talking about recently?
1: Uh, well, recently we've talked about uh, kind of direction of the show going forward it's like nothing nothing that would appear on the consumer facing side mainly like you know background how to how to you know cover things that people are interested in
0: Hmm. and um you've basically been covering uh every top formula of motorsport for several years now haven't you
1: yep it's been a long time
0: so um i mean which which would you say is the one that lights you up the most obviously i join you on um on discord to talk f1 um um on um, um on an unrecorded um um uh, sort of uh, chat room but uh voice channel rather but um w- would you say uh it's that or MotoGP, or lmp or something else that really lights you up and sort of lights the spark for you guys
1: uh, I think arguably over the last year has been Formula 2, not going to lie, in terms of yeah. races that we're excited to actually talk about and get into detail about actually what's happening on track in Formula 2.
0: So um, for, for those of us who uh, don't follow it, uh, what is it that really sort of lights that candle for you about Formula 2?
1: Uh, I'd say the closeness and competit- competitiveness of the races that you get not only great wheel-to-wheel racing but uh actual long-term strategic battles that actually strategy calls do matter when you take your pit stops matter uh it's it's we kind of say that it's what formula one should be
0: yeah um and uh, of, of course it's designed to give people in theory a briefing that they need to get into formula one um and uh let's let's see if it will be that for mick schumacher and uh, the other person who shall not be named as they go into f1 next season um yeah and also you've announced on twitter that you'll be starting a new website very soon uh, about something that is genuinely a zero emission form of sport so what is this and what can we expect from it <laughs>
1: Well, uh on on this new site I will still be talking about Motorsport, but considering that it's gonna be a while before we have Motorsport and uh somehow they somehow they fell into the situation where it's like, hey, we're the only form of vehicular racing that's gonna be happening over the next couple of months. I said, why not cover the America's Cup?
0: <laughs> Excellent. Um so um do, do you think that maybe uh you might um um want collaborators for an America's Cup podcast at some point?
1: Uh I am I'm not sure cuz probably in terms of uh it, it's weird in terms of like live or at the minute coverage for 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 the America's Cup because uh there there are situations where due to weather conditions. They they can't race on the day and they, they just delay it to the next day. Uh because it's it's open water. People don't have to go anywhere and we're and they're gonna be there for two months. So uh it's it's a minute by minute experience and the the racing can the racing in terms of quality can range from either, you know, nail biting, you know edge of the seat experience where the race could be decided by a couple of meters or someone could have a hellacious mistake and uh, just lose by losing the range of kilometers.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, it it sounds intriguing. I'm looking forward to reading your writing about it. And
1: uh, yeah, it's if you're if, if you like motorsport there there are a lot of storylines you could follow that you you'd enjoy uh like ineos team uk you know obviously ineos you know title sponsor of mercedes f1 team their boat was designed by adrian newey and red bull advanced technology so and uh the american yacht uh the new york yacht club's yacht uh they're one of their three team principals is roger penske so yeah. there's there's uh a lot of uh ways to get you know, emotionally connected to the racing if you're if you like motorsport.
0: And um, of course, you know, if you're talking about technological innovation, then I, I was going to say, you know, it's it's some if it's something that's caught Newy's fancy, then there must be something for a lot of F1 fans who in, enjoy that sort of slightly nerdier side of things as well.
1: Yes, because if I recall, there on an America's Cup yacht, there are only three spec components. Besides that, pretty much everything's open for development, uh, and there's going to be a lot of development over the next two months.
0: And uh, will your website also cover GP, the rival series?
1: Yes, because after the America's Cup concludes, that's when the GP season will start.
0: Uh, well i i just hope it won't pull you off uh motorsport 101 but uh it, it's it's a it, it's a great it's a great idea and um you know good luck with it to to tell us when it comes online and maybe come back on the podcast and let's talk about it that would be great um So what we're talking about today is uh, an article that I wrote this week for motione.org, the website, Uh, and by the way, this article and this podcast and everything I do is brought to to you, the listeners, by uh, my friends on Patreon, who have been for many months now uh, subscribing a small amount to get exclusive stuff. For example, uh, these podcasts, sometimes weeks before they go on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, audio tracks from interviews before I write them up, and uh, plenty of exclusive newsletters. Uh, that They're on about a fortnightly basis right now, but uh, for anything above a dollar a month, you can get in on the action. Anyway, ad read over. Let's get on with it. So the article was about the future of Formula E and whether it has a bit of a problem. And It was sort of sparked by discussions on other media about comments made by the former Formula E driver and Le Mans winner Loic Duval, the Frenchman. Uh, He drove for Dragon for several seasons in the Gen 1 era, and um, he he had some salty comments to make essentially he said that formula e was boring and that uh, the only people who say they're excited by it are people who are paid to paid to say so ie drivers who are who are salaried by teams So we'll get into that, but we'll also get into um, whether it's fair to equate that with the pull-out of manufacturers and um, why manufacturers have been pulling out. And we'll get into uh, a little bit of detail as well about where the manufacturers are going, which is the new LMDH Le Mans Daytona hypercar uh, category. So. Mr. King, uh, let's begin with very quickly the uh, Loic Duval interview on Motorsport Network and its ramifications. Um, do we need to take seriously the idea that, uh, that a former Formula E driver says that the cars are really bad to drive and he didn't enjoy it at all? Or is this just sour grapes from someone who did far better before he joined and has done, done far better afterwards as well?
1: Yes, I mean, I think it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, because like I've heard comments from drivers who've never raced in Formula E, like when asked if, if they would ever, you know, give Formula E a chance, uh, they, you know, I've heard the reply of quote, I don't drive slow race cars, uh, unquote, and uh, and it's, I think it's a situation of kind of them seeing the the general perception of Formula E and kind of amplifying that. Or uh, in in Loic's case, you could make the argument of saying he was never, you know, in a competitive position in Formula E. And you see comments about this about every category from drivers, you know, who don't have a shot at winning, where, you know, it's, it's kind of an easy way to to vent in a way but not vent at your specific team.
0: Yeah, and um g- generally it is true that the drivers who are complimentary about Formula E are the ones currently in it, but I took that and I wrote this in the article as being just a reflection of the fact that Formula E is a young formula and most of the drivers with substantial experience who can talk about it with authority are people who are still there uh, I mean I'm I'm sure maybe you know the likes of Mitch Evans or jean eric Vaughan or whoever might have something critical to say after they're no longer in the pay of a Formula E team but somehow I doubt it, They the people there do seem to genuinely enjoy what they're doing and you know Antonio Antonio Felix da Costa had an IndyCar test, but uh, he's he's shown no um, uh, kind of um, need to jump over there right now or as soon as possible, has he?
1: Yeah, I think it says a lot about the drivers who made a long-term commitment to to the category where obviously, you know, like you said, Antonio Felix da Costa has bluntly said that he wants to spend a like, lot, the majority of the rest of his career in Formula E and drivers who have made that commitment after having a very long, successful career, like Andre Lauder, who could have, you know, just remained in sports cars and, and, you know, and in Japan, but beside and decided to continually choose to remain in Formula E, whether it be, you know, you know, moving to Chichita and then over to Porsche where, he's clearly making a conscious decision to remain in Formula E.
0: And actually, speaking of Andre Lotterer, given his former reputation as a decent driver who um, is pretty good in endurance cars um, and... um, and uh, basically paid for an F1 drive for one race to say he'd done F1 and then said, no, I'm done with this now, you know. Um, So um, basically a decent endurance driver with a bit of character. Um, Is this the greatest sporting heel turn ever, the fact that he's somehow become Formula E's version of Dale Earnhardt now? Uh,
1: I wouldn't say that is entirely the case with with Lotterer, where it's, well where it's sort of a case where some drivers see the value of being informally and some don't and it's and it's always frustrating to not you know be competitive at the front in any series
0: Oh, oh, yeah, but but I mean, he's he's gone from being a uh, quite well-known driver who does a, who, who does a decent job to being to, to being this kind of, I mean, he he's uh, obviously it's part it's partly his personality and uh, the the way that he comes across, but I think it's mostly what he does on the track. The fact that um, he does have this reputation now as the sport's intimidator, and no one <laughs> no one comes near him without expecting contact. You know, it's it's uh, it, he's he's really grown a. A charisma in Formula E that he didn't seem to have previously. I think.
1: I I think that that comes with the with the style of racing in Formula E, where it's a bit of, you know, fear be feared, where where it's it, sort of the the best like the best style of defensive driving is the style of driving where you don't have to defend, where where people do, where where people defend themselves.
0: You wouldn't say there's any cause for alarm in drivers now or a driver now coming out uh, negatively against Formula E. Obviously he's not the only driver to have done it, but he's probably the only one to have got international press to write about it. So uh, there's no cause for concern here you'd say. It's it's not the biggest thing that's affecting Formula E right now.
1: Yeah, I'd say it's a bit of I'd say it's a bit of sensationalism from the press from the press side of things where like i could probably pull up a dozen articles about indycar for saying the exact same thing
0: but what was interesting was and um, uh, the, um I, I don't want to name the website because uh, i i might get in trouble with them and get uh, you know um get all kinds of internet <laughs> issues issues with their writers but like um, there, there was, I think, an American-based website that uh, took took this and ran with it, and essentially uh, related it uh, by by a straw man to the fact that manufacturers are pulling out and uh, Formula E's as it saw as it saw its um, inevitable demise. Um, To to me, there's no link between a driver saying Formula E is bad to drive and uh, manufacturers, uh, BMW and Audi, pulling out at the end of the 2021 season. Um, But uh, does it maybe reflect um, the, the fact that the press wanted an excuse or sorry, many organs of the press wanted the excuse to bash Formula E and were given it by those comments?
1: Yes, I, I'd say precisely, because uh, there's, you know, it's not just a formal E thing. There's, there's a general ebb and flow in terms of manufacturers joining and leaving categories, and I'm pretty sure we're going to talk about other categories later on that have had this happen, where for a variety of reasons outside of their control, manufacturers can come and go, and... Unfortunately, some people see it as a zero sum game where, where a manufacturer leaving a series could be positive to another series without the understanding that that manufacturer could just quit motorsport entirely, not move to another series.
0: Yeah, um, and so it's probably worth getting on to the first of the manufacturers that says it's leaving Formula E at the end of the 2021 season, um, at least as a factory outfit. Uh, this one surprised quite a few people because uh, BMW iAndretti had just announced Jake Dennis as its second driver and was going into Valencia testing with him and Maximilian Gunter and setting some decent times um, as they are re- as they regularly do in testing. I think they're so- something of testing specialist uh, uh, BMW Andretti, but what would you say are the roots of BMW, BMW's pullout? Because they'd only been in Formula E for two years as a manufacturer outfit when they uh, made those uh, remarks and um, confirmed that they were pulling out. And uh, they said in the press release it was because they'd gone as far as they could with technological advancement on the powertrain. Um, this this kind of um, drew some doubts because, uh, obviously, if that were the case, they would presumably have Formula E's best powertrain, which they didn't at the end of last season. Um, and also, although uh, Formula E's powertrain is quite standardised. There are elements that you can advance. But I guess this is part of the question as well. Does the Formula E powertrain allow manufacturers enough room to grow and room to play uh, and develop? Or is it too standardised as a result of the um, um, vote to make Nissan change its powertrain from a twin motor to a single motor? So we, we've got all these issues flying around. And um, Is it just a case that the powertrain isn't, uh, developable enough or, uh, is it also pandemic related? Is it also because BMW, um, just wanted to safeguard its future, um, hence why it's also pulling out of DTM in Germany? What's going on with BMW?
1: Oh, it's, it feels like a variety of reasons where BMW have not been, uh, they don't have the largest involvement in motorsport in general they've like they've scaled down their motorsports activities across the board like you mentioned etm also you know in sports car racing they've also scaled down as well uh it's like i i would say formally does have an issue with their regulations in terms of the power t- train but i wouldn't say that but it's a specifically like it's specifically the reason why bmw did not choose to continue
0: hmm so um is it due to then macro issues which people have been suspecting such as well the fact that it is just more difficult to um get uh, premium luxury cars out of the dealership in a pandemic and also um, the, the the fact that maybe people are um, not warming towards BMW's electric range in the same way that uh, they are, for example, towards Porsches. Um, so we're, we're seeing a lot of electric cars being bought in the high-end, the high, high-end luxury sector, the Porsche Taycan type sector and the Tesla Model S, uh, Model S sector. We're, we're just seeing fewer electric cars being shifted in that sort of um, middle-brow luxury sector where you've got uh, the um, Mercedes EQ and um, the uh, BMW uh, i3. Um, p- people just aren't yet going electric in that uh, area in the way that maybe manufacturers felt they would. I- is that part of it, do you think, as well?
1: I'd say that's that's part of it, but it's also a case of, I'd say it is genuine cost reduction where it's like revenue's down, we need to reduce costs, and usually, first thing on the chopping block, motorsport division.
0: Hmm. Uh, hence why they've also pulled out of uh, DTM as well. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, this kind of raises the spectre of the fact that BMW um, aren't seen as the most trustworthy manufacturer to underwrite a series, given that they did pull out of DTM the last time it was in trouble. And after that, they pulled out of Formula One at the first sign of the 2008 financial crisis. Uh, funnily enough, just after they'd uh, built a potential championship winning F1 car in 08. So, Um, Is is this just um, an example of how corporate culture differs so much between the different German manufacturers? I mean... um Audi have been in Formula E for the long term, Porsche say they will be, um, and both of them were in sports car racing for the long term. BMW don't do it like that. Uh, they, they weren't in sports cars for the long term, they were in it until they uh, won Le Mans, uh, and then they left. They were in F1 until they won a race, and then they left. Um, so is this just BMW's corporate nature, do you think?
1: Yes, it is definitely their corporate nature, especially, like, they, they do have a bit of I would say buyer's remorse in terms of them pulling out because throughout his championship years, they like BMW always put out a press release congratulating former BMW driver Sebastian Vettel on his championship win. Uh, like it, it, it feels like they they are very skittish in terms of motorsport spending.
0: Yeah and I must admit you know uh, there are so many um, I mean that there are so many Michael Schumacher Sebastian Vettel mirrors but uh, the the idea that uh, BMW were willing to let him go after one race to join uh, the Red Bull organization um it's it's so much like Schumacher and Jordan isn't it the backroom <coughs> politicking that got him there
1: yes and it i like, like it's another case of like BMW kind of, they are thinking long-term when they make these decisions, like these decisions, but they're not thinking long-term in terms of, uh, actually being successful in motorsport. They, they think more about the company as a whole.
0: So, um, is Formula E still an attractive place for manufacturers? And, um, a secondary question to that, um, I'm I'm sensing a little bit of um, what whatever the version of buyer's remorse is that we might be seeing here in that um, when the Formula E Gen Two car came out, uh, it looked like nothing else, and um, it looked spectacular and. Even if, like you said a minute ago, it was relatively slow and heavy compared to some other Formula E racing, it didn't look like that. Um, and I, I think manufacturers came in because they wanted a piece of that. Because um, they, some of them, needed to um, um, manage their reputations by being in an all-electric formula, but now. Of course, uh, sports car racing after years in the wilderness has come up with a formula that people want to be part of, uh, LMDH. It's, uh, and I'll let you explain it in more detail in a moment, but it's a low-cost formula compared to LMP1 by a long way. Um, it allows uh, them to race on both sides of the pond uh, in all of the Blue Riband races, and um, including Le Mans and Daytona and Sebring. And um, it allows teams to design something that has a vague family look with the cars um, that uh, that are in their model range. So compared to Formula E, where you've got a frozen look for the chassis, um, and then it's up to teams to design their own powertrains, there's actually a lot more marketing dollar potentially in LMDH. Um Is this part of why we're seeing teams sort of squirrelling over towards it now? Um, Audi have said they'll build an LMDH. Uh, Porsche have, at the moment, said they will alongside their Formula E efforts. Um, Is this why they're doing that? And also, I'd love for you to explain what is LMDH?
1: Well, like the brief explainer for LMDH is that it is, in some ways the spiritual successor to uh, IMSA's, uh, the North American Championships top uh, sports car class uh, DPI, Daytona Prototype International, where this is quoted, at originally this was conceived as DPI 2.0, the second generation DPI car, but due to uh, uncertainty in terms of the Le hypercar category and needing to re- you know reassure uh, you know international sports cars feature as a whole uh, it it was conceived for them to have some sort of convergence and the result of this was LMTH.
0: So um, just to interrupt, Le Mans hypercar was the original idea that the ACO, the Le Mans people and FIA came up with as a replacement for LMP1, wasn't it? Um, Now, am I correct in saying that um, uh, so obviously the private team, Scuderia, Glickenhaus and also Toyota are there?
1: Yes, those are the two manufacturers that are already there uh Peugeot are also committing to that category Aston Martin were planning on joining that category but it seems like uh that project is now gone
0: so um I'm aware vaguely there's this history of hatred between Lamont and Daytona and the IMSA people so uh, is is that part of the reason why they couldn't just sit around a table and say let's make one formula
1: Yes, because it was originally going to be two different categories. Technically, it still is two different categories, but uh, through this negotiation process, they were able to come up with uh, with LMDH, which is going to be you know IMSA's top category. IMSA won't allow Hypercars to run into their championship, though LMDH will be allowed to participate in uh, the World Endurance Championship as uh, a joint top category with the hypercars.
0: Okay, so it might end up a little bit like when, in that brief period of 1991-92, you had Group C and 3.5-litre sports cars roughly on the same performance level.
1: Yes, Uh, though currently LMDH is uh by an order of magnitude more affordable than hypercar
0: and um they're both hybrid aren't they
1: no you uh you you're hi- in the hypercar category you don't have to run a hybrid system
0: but toyota obviously will because that's their thing yes yeah uh okay but but glickenhaus are not Yes, clicking a house or not. Okay, so, um, but in L- in LMDH, do you have to run a hybrid system?
1: Yes, you have to run a hybrid system. Originally, it was conceived that all the manufacturers would be allowed to build their own systems, but that was dropped for cost reasons. So now there's a spec hybrid system.
0: Okay, so. Uh... Actually, all of the good publicity that manufacturers could get from running a hybrid is uh, mitigated by the fact that it's not their hybrid.
1: Yes, it is. It won't be a hybrid. It'd be completely off the shelf.
0: So... So, so actually, that uh, kind of punctures the argument that uh, you're getting the same marketing publicity whether you're in Formula E or LMDH, uh, given that um, you have one electric power unit and one sort of electric power unit, uh, both both doing similar jobs. Because, on the one hand, you know, in Formula E, you have to build your own. So, so now, now we're getting into the uh, detail area from the article of. Uh, whether it's better for marketing to build your own, and say in marketing you've built your own, or whether it's just good enough to be there, um, and uh, I've I've argued that uh, building your own and uh, running it in Formula E is still pretty important, but. Um, it sounds like maybe audi don't agree uh now, audi have pulled out of formula e for different reasons i think uh they've already won a title in formula e with lucas de grassi in season 3 uh after that famous incident um <laughs> and <laughs> um, um, and after sebastian buemi uh and his his comedy tantrum in montreal um the, um, the classic season really uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh so so they've already won their title and they were nowhere near it uh last season. Um and maybe it does feel like it's time a little bit. They they have got a lot of mileage out of being in Formula E and um it is a pandemic and if they do have that um inkling to go for sports cars for a while where, where you know they they won something like 500 Le Mans 24 hours in a row um, I think it was actually seven in a row wasn't it um, um, maybe they should go back there because you know the whole reason they quit sports cars uh, was because of diesel gates essentially and because they needed to clean up the reputation literally by going to an all-electric formula Maybe maybe the with people having short memories, the time when they need to do that and launch their reputation has passed and maybe they can get back to what they feel they're best at now. Um is this most of it, or are there other reasons why Audi are leaving? Uh
1: I'd say in terms of like I'd say yes, to a degree this is in terms of of them leaving where they've you know, they've won the championship they've been around the series for a while they it, there wasn't really any more there wasn't really any more peaks they could summit it and based on what they're doing afterwards what in terms of sports cars where this is the first time in 20 years you could theoretically you know complete the endurance triple crown in a single season you can win daytona sebring and Le Mans all in the same year overall now. And they already, they've already said, they already announced their project of attempting to, uh, win the Dakar with an electric car, be the first electric winner, even though it might have an asterisk attached to it.
0: Which would be an incredible undertaking. And, um, of, of course, uh, not quite on the level of Le Mans, but in terms of um, one-off adventures, I would say uh, going to uh, Dakar, or Paris-Dakar as it used to be known, and um, winning outright. I mean, it, it did wonders for Peugeot Citroen's reputation after they had to leave, well, after after Group B was abolished in rallying. And um, I, I guess uh, Audi are looking for a, a similar kind of burnishing of uh, their reputations. G- g- given that... Um, as well Audi um, g- given that they appear to be going in the direction of SUVs does it just make more sense to go off-road rather than uh you know Formula E
1: uh I'd say like in terms of single seaters especially nowadays besides the the Indianapolis 500 the most of prestige are in season championships you have to be there the entire year and win the championship in for obviously the Dakar is one race to get the prestige from winning that event. You just need to win that race, uh, in sports cars, uh, the championships do matter, but not to the same degree as major victories. People want to win the Daytonas. The Sebring's, brings the Le Mans. Like it's, I like you mentioned it in the article, there, there is a lot of value attached to winning Le Mans. Yeah. Um,
0: and if, if you walk into a dealership and you're looking for a car, um, At this moment in time, and this this might well be uh, puncturing my arguments uh, pro Formula E, but I think the majority of customers um, are sold by the idea that somehow a hybrid or a plug-in hybrid is environmentally friendly enough. I don't believe it is. I think we need to get off fossil fuels. But uh, I I think if you're a car salesman, you're perfectly capable, if you're any good, of selling the idea that, well, you've got half the capacity in this battery and uh, you're barely going to need to uh, fuel it up, you know, uh, all this kind of thing. And. I, I think um, for most potential car customers, the idea of driving a hybrid is good enough right now, particularly if you can get your hands on, say, a Lexus 4x4 um, or an Audi Q7 or something. Whereas, you know, um, the the uh, sales pitch for all electric is potentially a lot more difficult still. Um, I don't know what you think about that.
1: Uh, oh, I'd, I'd say that there is a certain uh, there is a certain degree where people are just willing to get a plug-in hybrid, uh, but it's mm, I, I'd say that apart a, part, uh, a degree, to a degree it hurts Formula E that they don't quite have that prestige yet that you know obviously a lot of people said that they're they're their promotion from international championship to world championship in the FIA is meaningless. But to a lot of people, a world championship just sounds a lot better on paper than just championship. And it'll take time for Formula E to cultivate, you know, history and prestige, but it'll get there. They just need to be around for it. It's, It's just that, you know, a lot of people might not follow the Dakar, but it does... To people who somewhat tangentially follow motorsport, it does conjure images of what an experience of a Dakar is to be out in the desert. And if a manufacturer is able to get an electric car to do that, it's going to have a lot of brand value. That people just assume that, hey, this is an electric car that's going to be durable and reliable.
0: I wonder as well how much, and uh, I I sort of touched upon the internet culture war um, of car fans uh, that we have at the moment, uh, uh, whereby a sizable proportion, shall we say, of the F1 fan base uh, is either um, older Commentators, let's face it, like myself, um, who um, I I perhaps am different to most people my age in that um, I like the all-electric technology. I I like um, what Formula E has produced uh, more than Formula One at the moment, but. I think the majority of people in my age group would prefer the petrol head side of things. Would call themselves petrol heads. Would uh, would say th- would would say things like, "Let's bring back V10 stroke, V12s, whatever's uh, on the menu this week," um, and. Um, th- th- there's, there's a lot of nostalgia in the older in, in the sort of older middle age groups whereas I think there's a lot of younger people who are more willing to change and um, you know maybe the racing equivalent of the K-pop stands uh, the, the sorts of people who post Lando Norris memes um, and you know maybe they're more likely to get on the side of a formula like Formula E but y- you've got this kind of I would say age-based culture war going on and um, in a way Formula E's found itself without meaning to boxed into this corner of the internet I still love Formula 1 I still watch all the races but I just love Formula E more um, and um, but somehow the culture war says that you've got to take one side or the other uh, that you can't like K-pop and death metal you know um, <laughs> it, it, it has Formula E found itself a prisoner of this culture war a little bit do you think? Uh
1: I let's say yes and no. It's I I think Formula E is where it is positioned in the, like the the collective imagination of of the motorsport public in a pretty good position. That while they might be ridiculed today, they're tomorrow's nostalgia. People are gonna people are gonna be fond of this era of Formula E with this very close competitive racing uh it's sort of kind of having to go endure this period of time where they're relatively the new kids on the block and get ridiculed but you know 10 15 years down the road people who are teenagers now are gonna be you know well into adulthood and look back fondly at this time in formula e (laughs)
0: In 2019, from that standpoint, the idea of having a series that didn't require permanent circuits that uh, came to the spectators by being in the middle of cities um, and that allowed people to mix freely in fan parks seemed like a great idea. Um, and that's that's only become less of a great idea uh, in the light of a pandemic that Formula E couldn't possibly have forecast. So. Um, given that coronavirus appears to be with us uh, in the long term now, uh, vaccinations are happening slowly and um, it's un- it's it's unlikely in the extreme that we'll get all of the Formula E rounds that we hoped for done uh, this season. Um, what's the future for a city street racing series when city street racing behind closed doors just makes no sense?
1: It's sort of, you know... Sort of wait and see. Just find an alternative until things can somewhat return to a new normalcy. That's sort of been the case with a a lot of, you know, whether it be racing series or other, uh, you know, sporting championships where you have to find it. It's either postponed, find another alternative, and wait and see. A major source of revenue for the series is cities paying for the right to host these events and Saudi Arabia is willing to to pay to have a spectators a spectatorless event but a lot of cities aren't willing to do that they it's you you can't really justify the expenditure of paying the the host fees for the race when you're not going to see the economic impact of it where it's like these are supposed to be uh attraction events where people come to the races uh like I would I would love if a city would just pay for Formula E to have a closed door event but they're not going to do that
0: so then we get on to the long-term future of Formula E, and I guess it depends on this year, and it depends on a lot of macroeconomic and, you know, global uh, factors to do with the pandemic and its impact, and whether we get a recession or a depression, for example. But um, obviously, Formula E still has a lot of agency to make changes in the short term and the long term. Now, at the moment, we're in the Gen Two era, and um, uh gen 3 the new car um which includes fast charging is something that uh is uh pretty much locked down except for a few minor details gen 3 is a formula that was agreed before uh or it was agreed in principle before the pandemic hit uh and um uh it was pretty much locked in detail at, at a time when uh we were um uh suffering under the pandemic, um we collectively. Um what does Gen three have to achieve in order to be successful? And from what you've heard about the regulations so far, is it in the right place to uh solve the problems that Formula E has got right now and to keep manufacturers interested?
1: Oh I I think I think, especially with the Gen 3 regulations already locked in, whether the manufacturers remain interested or not is going to be down on, down to whether the public stays interested or not. Because the manufacturers already know all the technical details of this, of the new generation of cars. There's, there's, they're not going to suddenly become disinterested. They know what's on the table. But when rubber hits the road and the racing starts, are people going to still be engaged in form, like engaged with Formula A? Hmm.
0: Um. And uh, I obviously they have a great show right now, and it it really is that balance, isn't it, between um, putting on a great show for the spectators, which will obviously grow the financial pot and will grow the viewership, and putting on a spectacle which manufacturers can get involved with which will allow them to brag again in their marketing about that road relevant trickle down and um, I guess two questions really which one out of those two factors is the most important for manufacturers deciding whether to get involved or not and um, again to to what extent does it matter whether Gen 3 is a flexible formula that manufacturers can get involved in with their engineers or does it just need to be something where the electric cars are quick and light and it's good for marketing?
1: I'd say it's a bit of a balance where uh, you see it a lot more in sports car racing, like you mentioned before, where, where people are willing to... People are much more willing to sink costs in and take losses if they if they know that that they could sell their participation as being related to the road cars they sell. Uh where, you know, we might not win, but we're gonna try to win our way, not a way prescribed to us by the championship.
0: Hmm. And uh, obviously, that's uh, that that's an issue for Formula E because uh, when when they came to that agreement with Nissan after the team vote to uh, get Nissan to revise their powertrain from a twin motor to a single motor, that was a big thing at the time because uh, it was Formula E saying, "Look, uh, you know, we're all in it for cost saving. That's that's why you guys aren't in something like Formula One, for example, and we're going to cost save by." creating a more standardised version of the regulations that you came in with and um, uh, preventing an arms race. Um, now, obviously, part of BMW's reason or excuse for leaving is that uh, they felt they got as far as they could with the standardised formula. Um, is is there enough room for manoeuvre or... Um, uh, would you have liked to see more room for maneuver with the gen 3 plans
1: uh i like i'd like to see certain changes like but it would require a a ma- it would require a change in philosophy about how the championships are reg- regulated because if if you're going to start opening up avenues of development to have different ways to propel the car you're gonna have to find new ways to regulate that somewhat keep a competitive balance because the more room you open up like the more room you open it up for development the the bigger the window in terms of performances where you could have someone be wholly dominant where they could just run away for the next half decade and there's nothing in the rules you could do to stop them.
0: Yeah, and the reason that someone like Mercedes, uh, who are probably the people with the... uh, um, most claim to be dominating any form of motorsport right now out of the Formula E manufacturers. That The reason why Mercedes will never dominate Formula E, at least under the Gen 2 regulations, is because um, they aren't allowed to vary that much in terms of their technology, unlike in F1. Um, so, So uh, if if you came up with a liberalized slate of regulations for Gen 3, then there is the risk of, say, Porsche or Mercedes coming up with the magic solution that no one else does. And, you know, all of a sudden you end up with with cars two or three seconds a lap faster, lapping other people. And that's going to then turn off viewers and um, reduce the pot, isn't it?
1: Yes. And the way things are set up now, it is a very objective way of balancing out the teams because you don't want to go into, again, the sports car realm of things, of their subjective way of, of competitive balance, where they have uh, a very subjective balance of performance or equivalency of technology to try to rein people in. And then people, then manufacturers start complaining. It's like, why are we spending this much money just for us to get pegged back? and formally e don't want to be put in that situation where where they are where they allow manufacturers to spend so much money just for them to arbitrarily slow them down
0: So um the the formula E show is pretty good. Uh, the racing obviously, excuse me, catches people's attention um, for the reason that it's very close. And uh, I think the qualifying groups really help. They they uh, bring maybe cars together that wouldn't be together otherwise. Um, and uh, so, so the racing, obviously, on those narrow street circuits, really cool. But is there anything that they can do with the show or the way that the formula is presented or maybe their social presence or their TV coverage to make it better?
1: Oh, it's, it's hard to say because arguably in terms of motorsport, I think Formula E have, has one of the best broadcasts out there, especially compared to the other top-level motorsport. Like, obviously, uh, it, in terms of the l- length of the races they run, you obviously want to compare them to other single-seater championships. Like, Formula 1 is probably on par with Formula 1 uh you know better than indycar uh and it's hard for them to make a room for if for improvement coming from someone who's already heavily invested in this championship maybe uh like just take a step forward for the people who are already dedicated like uh obviously the the cool thing nowadays is give people access to the onboard cameras, allow them to watch the race the way they want to watch the race. But in terms of the broadcast that every fan gets to see, it's hard to, it's hard to make any recommendations because they're already close, if not already, the gold standard.
0: I, I would say part of the problem, and um, uh, pe- people who people who aren't switched on to Formula E have mentioned this to me as being a problem for them is that um, they go to some of the most beautiful cities in the world and you barely see the city while you're there. Um, You see occasional overhead views of uh, the area around. Marrakesh looks pretty sweet when they go there, for example, but then... When you're actually watching the racing, all you see is uh, 24 tie DHL boards. um, And um, they're obviously there partly for safety reasons, but um, you you can have um, uh, crash structures that are see-through. Uh, it is possible to see the city. Um, you don't necessarily need advertising on your crash structures all the time, I would say. Uh, so maybe something they could improve is finding a way to bring more beauty into the camera angles when you're showing these wonderful electric cars going through a city. So, um, Maybe also find a way to go through parts of cities that are a little more attractive. Um, the Excel Centre in London's Docklands is no one's idea of the best part of London, um, but it's the part of London which is closest to a, closest to an airport and which is uh, uh, easiest to book. Um, if if you if you got into got into politics with the uh, mayor of London over uh, having a race in Central London, I think you'd be taking several decades getting a race done there. So th- th- there are political reasons why. Well, and I I would I would imagine also the Docklands region of New York. You know the reason why it's there, Brooklyn is is a similar reason. But uh, what's your opinion on getting more beauty into those city races?
1: I'd say that like. As, like as someone who you know watches you know professional cycling and you know sailing they they have the luxury of you know especially with sailing where it's like obviously they're gonna have like the best you know camera angles imaginable because they're out on the water in harbor cities where they're precisely where the best views are racing you don't have that luxury it's Wherever you're racing, that's where you're racing. Uh, it's, I'd say, the issue that I have is, you know, the fact that you can't see the city. Uh, like you could probably, like I make a lot of comparisons to what Champ Car, what what formerly is now nowadays to like early 2000s Champ Car, where where it was pretty much half the calendar was uh, Americans you know, American street races, even though they weren't really streets, they were like sports complex parking lots and like a lot, very similar to what, you know, Formula E is now. And it is visually very different. And I'd say the biggest problem that Formula E has with their circuits is that it is a bit of a hotel room phenomenon where it's like, it doesn't matter what city you're in, the track always looks the same. There's nothing visually distinctive from venue to venue, except with, like, a handful of cases where you you know Mexico City is Mexico City. It it has a very iconic look to the track. I would say there's... You don't need to show off iconic parts of the city. The tracks just need to look more distinctive.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, the place where my argument was coming from was that... Um, we we've all played uh video games where they take um racing series usually fictitious to various cities around the world and um you know it's the city because they show the major landmarks and you're driving around them um now i'm i'm not suggesting that formula e should be um should should try should try to be or could ever be turbo outrun for example or for forza horizon but um at the moment, TV viewers and internet viewers are getting none of the character of these wonderful cities. So in a sense, the USP is rather more that people from those cities can get to go and see Formula E easily. Yes. Um, so is that enough? Or um, do TV and internet viewers rightly demand a bit more these days from their viewing experience?
1: I, I, think, I think viewers are a bit overambitious in terms of what they want but there is more that Formula E could do like you don't see this in say professional football where people like no one's saying that oh i'm watching arsenal play tonight where's big ben it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's like they just need to make their venues look and be more iconic
0: yeah, I I'm, I'm watching the Buffalo Bills tonight. Uh where's where's whatever's the good thing in Buffalo.
1: Yeah, it's it's again the, the hotel room phenomenon where like every place they go to blue walls, same ad branding, uh like you can't see the fans except in Mexico City. Uh it's 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 they need to create a character at the places they go to where they do have it at some of the venues where like uh Mexico City, Temple Hoff, immediately iconic, when Formula E races there, you know where you are.
0: Hmm and uh, T- templehof achieves that uh, obviously you've you, you've you've got the uh, um the uh, former control tower section uh, which which is now effectively a stadium section where they hold uh, things like the green tech exhibition etc but you've also got things like you know they they put uh, that uh, cold war um uh, bomber next to the track and it, it's just a re- really really nice juxtaposition of old technology and new technology when you get a formula e car driving past it and you get the photos of the bomber behind it um so uh, little touches like that i think can make the difference to city street races and um maybe that's something that other cities could think about, you know, what, what is a cultural landmark of Marrakesh, for example, um, you know, with, with without being too cheesy, um, is, is there a way to put a botanical garden next to the track? That kind of thing, you know, I, I, I talk about that.
1: And they're like simple, small fixes, like try to like color code what races are on the calendar. So maybe not have blue walls at every event, uh, like, just pick different colors for different cities, uh, like the, the ad boards, not have them affixed to the catch fence right against the track. Maybe move it back a couple feet, attach it to a building, offset from the track. Just like Just small little things to try to add some more character.
0: Yeah and obviously Formula E is trying to keep the cost down for city hosts and trying to I I think part of the reason why a lot of things look the same in Formula E is because they bring their own stuff and that's part of their promise. Um but uh, I I I do wonder if maybe hiring an outside consultants to sort of work on the aesthetics might um i I mean people talk about it being window dressing because it literally is that's that that, that's that's what it is but i wonder if the window dressing is actually something that is worth addressing because maybe it might uh sell a lot more um uh it, it maybe it might um get a lot more subscribers and maybe it might get a lot more people uh watching the races from afar
1: yeah, like uh it's it's weird to say, like now it's a trend here in the US for baseball teams to uh design, you know, their new their new ballparks in styles of uh baseball's golden age of the fifties, where like the current Yankee Stadium has no reason to look like the original Yankee Stadium from a century ago other than people enjoy that look. They enjoy the the facade on the ballpark even though there's no reason for that facade to be there anymore.
0: Uh, that's really interesting. I, I wasn't aware of that because uh, I think English football is going in the, in the opposite direction. I think um, American sports always sets the tone for European sports. Uh, and so you end up with English football being about 10 years behind the NFL on these things. But uh, so so we're still moving to these Enormo domes on the edge of cities um, <laughs> or on the same place where the old ground was that um, are only distinctive because, you know, in the case of Tottenham Hotspur's new ground, it has a cheese room, for example. So um, <laughs> there, there are all these kind of um, differences, and I wonder if maybe uh, European football needs to get back to the old school. If baseball is doing that, you know that might be an interesting thing for other sports to consider.
1: Oh Lord, can't wait for the next Emirates to look like Highbury.
0: <laughs> 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 I know, I know. I, I, mean, you, you can't just to- turn the old grounds into apartment blocks. You know, you use some of that architecture. It, that was, that was, that was the cool thing about it. But anyway, so um if if you have your crystal ball and you look ahead um obviously formula e has the license with the fia to be the fia's premier all-electric formula for some substantial amount of time um formula one has already agreed to stick with uh, the hybrid formula for some time into the future um at least um um at least while we have the current rules slate the 2022 rules slate um In the long, long long-term future, Formula 1 will eventually have to go um, all non-fossil fuel. And so at the point when it does, obviously there'll be some kind of convergence, I would say, with Formula E. Now, when we get to that point, and we're probably looking beyond this decade, I would say. um, You can say whether you agree with that or not in a minute. But, like, when we get to that point... I would say it's going to be a bit like where the demise of the World Sports Car Championship was caused by the engine regulations being changed by Bernie Eccleston, the FIA, to be exactly the same as Formula One, meaning that manufacturers said, hey, you know, we may as well just go to Formula One and get the marketing dollar from that. Um, So... Is there going to be a case in the far future where Formula One will just take the, th- the things it likes from Formula E and take the manufacturers from Formula E? And um, is this Formula E's eventual long, long, long term future or will we always have two very distinct formulae, do you think?
1: I, it, it feels awkward to explain, but I think we're going to see somewhat of a mix of the two where... Formula E will still exist in some capacity due to its unique nature besides the electric cars. Like the the city street circuits, like I to a certain degree, there's no way that Formula One could ever exact exactly replicate that aspect. Though I also believe that Formula One will never truly go fully electric. I think it will be a situation where we go back to you know the FIA's oldest equivalent of technology rule where uh, forced induction cars were always limited to half the engine displacement of uh, the naturally aspirated cars. There's going to be some level of equivalency of technology between the all-electric Formula 1 entries and the hybrid ones because I don't think they'll ever fully move away from having hybrid course and formula one
0: right um of course at some stage the world's natural resources will be exhausted and formula one might become a bit irrelevant at that stage
1: well i mean it's like formula one are making this big push for synthetic fuels act like sort of like equivalent like Making it equivalent to a moonshot, like oh, it's going to be so difficult for us to develop these fuels, and and I'm thinking like, IndyCar raced on E100 fuel, like within like within the last decade, it's possible, it's completely possible. It, like it'll just take a bit of development. They'll get there to be you know run on completely renewable fuel, and like for the most part. A lot of vehicles won't be able, like a lot of vehicle classes won't be able to go to full electric within the time span of Formula E's, you know, exclusivity period. Uh, So, like hybrids will be around for for a long time as well. And in terms of you know development costs and running costs, I. Formula, Formula 1 are going to need privateer entrance, and they're not going to want to spend as much money on electric development as the big manufacturers are. There, there'll always be a window for hybrid vehicles in motorsport. Indy cars run on ethanol. Uh, it was largely for sponsorship reasons, and once that sponsor left, they stopped running it. Uh, but for Formula 1 to do it, it's completely plausible they will run some form of synthetic fuel it won't be ethanol but it'll be something similar and like like i said earlier there'll always be a window for hybrid vehicles uh what the what the you know exact composition of that hybrid might look like in formula one's future don't know
0: well uh follow along with the motion e podcast on spotify apple podcasts or wherever you get your audio from uh follow motorsport 101 as well uh they uh they have a presence on youtube they're on twitter they're um Uh, also on uh, the audio platforms and um yeah motione.org and if you want to take that relationship a bit further then it's patreon.com forward slash motione.org um thank you uh ryan eric king for your expertise really appreciate it and um good luck with everything
1: thank you always enjoy being here (laughs)